Welcome, everyone, to episode, oh, help me, 12? 12. 12, oh my gosh, of Adopting Wellness. I'm Laura. And I'm Katie. And we have a special guest with us today. Um, We are so blessed and privileged in all the words you want to use to be joined by Rebecca Berg. Rebecca, it's so nice to have you here. Thank you for coming. Thank you. I'm excited too. This is a long-awaited conversation. Yes. Thanks for your patience on scheduling. The the planets have finally aligned, so to speak. So we're here. Um, Rebecca, I'd love to just hear a brief introduction of who you are and you know, whatever of your story you would like to share. Yeah. So um, I'm a registered dietitian. I live in Los Angeles, California. I'm originally from Baltimore. So um, I am an East Coast gal, but since moved here five years ago, and I'm absolutely in love with everything about California. Um, In terms of my story, I was adopted as an infant. So I'm a domestic infant, same race adoptee. And I've always known I was adopted um, because that was something really important to my parents. My mom is a social worker or was a social worker who specialized in adoption. Um, So it was just a very normal part of my growing up. But it wasn't until about three years ago that that I started kind of digging into my own story, mainly out of a curiosity of why am I the way that I am? And um, wanting to connect some of those dots because things were feeling sort of uncomfortable in my in my body in my life, um, and through that personal exploration and my own work as a, a registered dietitian who specializes in eating disorders and mental health, um, blended the two together. Amazing! Wow, I have so many questions for you, Katie. Do you want to do you want to jump in and? ask some questions? Yes. So I'm actually doing a program right now with a registered dietitian and a personal trainer. And um, it's, but it's very centered around diabetes. And so I'm, it's interesting to me when you talk about wellness and health. And I think because it's so hard to engage in as an adoptee for me, because it often brings up family history, medical history. Um, it also brings up like very unknown medical issues that I have that maybe there was no justification to uh, for doctors to look into um, or just like I just don't have explanations um, and I can't look to my family for those. And so like it's been this very interesting journey for health, physical health, but also it brings up so much of this emotional health. What do you recommend for adoptees who are interested in looking into diving into starting their own wellness journey? Um, Maybe that's with a dietitian, maybe that's with just reading online for now and just like doing some really good practices at home. Um, But as an adoptee, like, do you have any, I guess, tips, tricks, recommendations for how to go through that process um, and still it be like a positive, healthy journey? 
I mean, it's definitely it's definitely a deep one because you touched on the nuances and difficulties of being an adoptee navigating a health journey, which we we all do because it doesn't matter if we're struggling with health conditions or not. We we tend to go for a preventative visit at least once a year or an ER visit and someone says, you know, what's your family medical history? And mm. it just comes up, you know, every single time. Um usually with little sensitivity around it. And I think that's an invalidating part of being an adoptee that no one really talks about is the 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 trauma of not having information, of not yeah. having the questions answered, because th- that leaves you disempowered when you go to the doctor's office. And I think that that really sucks. But you did ask for positive, for the positive note. So I'm going to, I think I'm going to go switch back for a sec. Um, I think first we have to recognize that it's it's scary and difficult and there is that that extra layer of difficulty for us mm. as adoptees and the more that we can acknowledge that going into any kind of health situation I think it does take the a little bit of that charge away from it doesn't mean that it's going to be easier but just mm-hmm. to not pretend like it doesn't exist and then the second thing is like especially in our country people you know unfortunately a lot of doctors and dietitians are going to try to tell you what's best for you and they're going to you know use all these standard metrics to try to get you to their version of wellness but i think the most important thing is to know yourself and know what you need out of that definition of wellness because a doctor can say one thing but Honestly, it doesn't matter what the doctor thinks. It doesn't matter what, you know, your dietitian thinks that really matters what your goals are. And those health practitioners should be there to come alongside you and help you reach those goals. And at the same time, it's okay to not have health be a goal. I think you touch on something so important that I have found with chronic illness is I think as an adoptee, but also as a human that has chronic illness, you have to advocate for yourself. And what you say about physicians and and professionals, they have all of the expertise in the field, but they don't live in your body. And I think that, you know, taking that into account and being able, I remember a lot of times I would go to the doctor and and, and they'd say, well, we want to put you on this and this and this. And and I understood the reasons, but I also felt myself becoming smaller and smaller mm. because I just felt like I don't want to be on so many medications. Like, surely there's something else I can do or another recommendation. And I never asked yeah. those questions until I got a lot older when I realized that I am the person that lives in my body every single day and feel feels what I feel and knows, you know, what's going to set me off and what's not. And I have to trust that as well, Um, not to discount what a physician says or recommends or prescribes, but also keeping in account like your opinion and your experience in your body is so valid. And it's so important to to be able to find a, a physician that really cares about that. 
Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's like a mantra for me is you are the expert of your own body. And you know that it's not easy to get to that point where you can be empowered in a, in a doctor's appointment or with any professional for that matter. But there are ways to take small steps to get there and recognize, like you said, Katie, the big picture. Yeah. I think that brings to to mind for me, just that theme of lack of agency that so many of, of us adoptees grow up with is this idea that our body and our minds, I think a lot of times our health journey can become really overtaken by other people's ideas about what, you know, is is good or what we should be doing or what we should look like. And, and that's a culture wide thing for sure. Um, like I know I've followed you for a while now, Rebecca, and I know you're really big into, um, like calling out toxic diet culture and like embracing body positivity. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, what led you to, to that place and, and really wanting to champion that for people? Yeah, definitely. Um, I definitely didn't start there. So when I was in my mid-20s, I was not happy in my job as a um, nonprofit marketing professional. And I ended up going on my own health journey at that time, working out a lot and and getting into running and, and, and nutrition. So decided that I wanted to be a registered dietitian. And with that came a lot of classes, nutrition 101, food science, biochem and anatomy and physiology. And eventually I applied to a master's program and got in. But at that time, I had a very black and white view of health. I was eating in a very controlled, now I recognize disordered way um, counting calories, you know, I went from being vegetarian to then paleo, then vegetarian paleo and vegan. Like I went through the whole, this whole like process of trying to, you tried it all. (laughs) You did the the tour of diets, huh? Yes. I was trying to figure out what is like the, the, the cleanest, purest, healthiest way to eat, not only for myself, but for the environment. And that just got me like, more and more disconnected from myself. So when I when I went to grad school, I was like, I'm gonna help people lose weight. And people just need to like learn how to eat more vegetables and fruits. And that is the plan. Like I was so naive to just the larger factors at play. And it was actually in grad school where learning in in those classes of like, oh, like there's way more nuance to all of this because we would have lectures where it would be about a whole topic and then the end would be like, and we don't really know. <laughs> like how can we not know? But nutrition is a really young science. And so, you know, at the end of my schooling, I became much more interested in intuitive eating and health at every size and the fat liberation movement. Um, And then when I did my internship, I worked with veterans here in in West LA. And there was so much, um, there was so much weight stigma. And there was so much compartmental compartmentalization of like this veteran has heart disease and right now we're going to counsel him on his heart disease and yeah he has ptsd and whatever but that though that's that's his mental health we're just focusing on his heart disease now when i say that i'm like that makes no sense (laughs) but i was trained in this very like procedural way when i actually got into the room with people 
and they would say, you know, I don't have a place to live. I have to decide between getting my diabetes medication or, you know, buying a candy bar or, you know, some kind of similar um, choice or, or, or staying clean, I, staying like hygienically clean. I was like, yeah, I can't. All that stuff that I learned, like I can't, I can't operate on that on that wavelength. So I just, I. This is a very long-winded answer. Um, no, I think it's really it's <laughs> it's you're giving a lot of. I mean, it's a whole person sitting in front of you, right? It's not a diagnosis, which the medical community and the wellness community is as guilty of that yeah. as anyone is. Yeah. It's just heart and that's disease. unfortunately <laughs> like how dietitians are trained. You know, in the medical model of we're going to look at this one aspect of the body and, you know, we call it medical nutrition therapy. Like what is the problem? And then what is the ideology and what are the symptoms and what are we going to do to fix it? You know, this like bodies need to be fixed kind of mentality. Um, but I never agreed with that. And so what I really wanted was long lasting, deeper relationships with my clients and really to be able to talk about all the other things that affect health like capitalism and racism and socioeconomic differences and, you know, the trauma of being adopted and having PTSD and all of these things. And that's how I found my home in the eating disorder field in the mental in the field of behavioral health nutrition, because that's where we do that. Can you talk more about that, that niche behavioral health and nutrition? Because that's so fascinating to me. Katie and I, I mean, you know, I'm a therapist. Katie, I know was Katie did almost all the training to become a therapist. We're both very, you know, half, half therapists that never, she gets, <laughs> she's a therapist in her in her own way, but <laughs> we're very fascinated by that too. And yeah. I think most of us get there because we've had our own journeys with, with that. Right. And so how yeah. do you make that connection between nutrition and mental health? And yeah, that's tell a, me more about that. That's a great question. Yeah. Um, well, I think the first thing I want to say is, unfortunately, I was taught none of that in my training. So sometimes I do feel like a therapist as well, because, you know, I've had to learn about all these modalities that I use in my work, like CBT and DBT and ACT and, you know, somatic therapies and all of these things. And the reason why that's so important is because our relationship with food in our bodies is not something that's just derived from, you know, the way, the way that we think it's, or sorry, it's not just what we do. It's also the way that we think about what we're doing and how we feel in our body and how our body is communicating to our brain and, and vice versa. And once I learned about the the vagus nerve that runs from your from your head all and it innervates all these different parts of your body and how there's bi-directional communication from your gut to your brain and your brain to your gut and all all of that um it just became clear that like you can't you you have to like you said look at a person as a whole person and understand that their nervous system state and their emotional state is going to have a big impact on the everyday behaviors that they do and because we're all human, we have to eat, you know, three to six to 10 times a day, depending on who we are. So it's, it's something that we can't ignore. Like we're always going to be doing it. And so our nervous system state is going to affect it. And I, I worked in a trauma treatment center early on um, when I was starting out here in LA. And once I learned about trauma and that effect on the body, it was very eye-opening to me to see like, of course, if you're having these somatic symptoms, 
it's going to impact how you seed yourself and care for yourself. Heck yeah, it is. I mean, you're speaking my language right now and you're talking about the polyvagal theory, which I think is, I'm sure by now, if you've, if people are interested in that and you haven't done research, I recommend you do because it's, it is fascinating. There's so many, I mean, really everything kind of goes through that vagus nerve sort of system within your body. It's really, really interesting. And, um, yeah. And I, and I really like, once I learned about polyvagal theory, I really like to incorporate that into the work because mm -hmm. I think people don't, don't fully understand that the, our nervous system then sets off a cascade of hormones that then affects our body and especially affects our digestive system. So yep. a lot of times people with disordered eating and eating disorders have, you know, ranging from mild to severe GI distress. And sometimes there, there actually, you know, is something going on in the GI system. But a lot of times it's also an effect of, of you know, the, the psychosomatic you know, yeah. symptoms and things yeah. like that. So psychosomatic not does not mean what it used to mean, um, where people used to think that meant it's not real, right? You're making it up in well, your yeah, head. That's not what I mean. Right. Now I but I think that that was a prior misconception by a lot of people is oh psychosomatic means you're just creating it from nothing. And it's it did it it's only a problem because that person's making it a problem. And that is not true. What I think is so fascinating about polyvagal is that actually what, what that theory says is it's very real and it's just not being paid attention to and you're not aware of it all the time. That's good. And um, yeah, that's so cool. I'm so glad that you do that with clients. That's amazing. Um, and I don't think it's a surprise to anyone given what you said about that gut-brain connection that eating disorders are rampant in the adoptee community. There's a huge connection between adoptees and eating disorders. I think we can also tie that agency piece back here too. And that sense of control that so many of us are missing. Um, that's awesome. That's so fascinating. I also think about when I was a kid and just how many health things that were happening that I didn't realize when I was younger and I was born in the early eighties. Um, so a lot of this, a lot of the resources, a lot of the knowledge that is out there now, which is what we're talking about, was not really available or it wasn't talked about. And, you know, as an adult, I look back on my childhood and I had a lot of stomach issues and I had chronic headaches. And, you know, I took four hour naps every single day, even when I was an athlete. And, you know, all of these things that didn't make sense as a kid um, of course, I had a kid brain, so I wasn't really <laughs> thinking consciously. Yeah, <laughs> this is all connected. Um, but as an adult, I think back and I and and I I've talked to so many adoptees that have digestive GI issues that and, and a lot of that is from anxiety. And of course, going into the the mental health of depression and and. PTSD and, you know, so many different aspects of it. And I just like hearing that, I just think about even my young child self and, and all of us as adult adoptees looking at our young child self and, and saying like, you don't feel well because it's related to adoption. 
That's a, most likely, not all, but a lot of the GI stuff, a lot of the headaches were not from, hey, I can't really see well. It's from, I really had a lot of stress that I I was holding into my body and I didn't know. And trauma. I was an adult. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It just really blows my mind what we know now. You know? It really, yeah, it really does. I I mean, I, I too struggled with a lot of GI stuff in my late teens. And I remember going to the doctor for testing and they said, yeah, you have IBS. Like, take, take this medication when the pain is really bad. And I was like, is that it? <laughs> like, it's just, right. you know, I, IBS is a diagnosis of exclusion. So they look for all the things that they know. And then when none of those things check out, they say, okay, well, it's IBS. Well, now we know, you know, how IBS is so in- intimately connected with our nervous system state and stress that it makes sense. I, you know, now looking back, I, I know I was a super stressed, anxious kid and I was going off to college in a new state and my body was yeah. like, yeah, we're not having that. But I was like, we're just going to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> How did you get to a place where you, you knew you had to listen to your body? Oh, yes. That is, that's really hard. Such a good question. Um, I would say I spent almost all of my twenties running and, and, you know, in, in flight mode in some way, trying to avoid and, you know, doing too much and over, over exercising and, and all of that. Um, and it wasn't until I started with my current therapist, which I went to see her because I felt like something was off in my work. You know, being an eating disorder dietitian, I just like my work is really heavy and I feel like it's bleeding into my personal life. Mm -hmm. I'm having trouble like turning off my brain and this and that. Um, And when I started working with her, you know, quickly, she was like, yeah, you have anxiety and PTSD. and, And I mean, she taught me to slow down. She taught me to breathe and and check in with my body. And it was like the more that I did that and the more that I became aware of myself and awake to myself, the more I couldn't ignore it anymore. It was like I couldn't override those signals anymore. And I just, it's hard because I would say like over the past three years, I've just become more and more tired and like, Mm -hmm. I feel like my energy just gets lower and lower and lower, but I have to think about it. I think in terms of the whole time span, like I feel mm-hmm. like I'm recovering from not stopping for like 10 plus years. Oof. Yeah. Yes. Same. Yeah. Do you think, I mean, I, you know, there's this sort of amorphous thing that we say in the adoptee community that about people coming out of the fog where we're, you know, like kind of coming into awareness of how adoption trauma and adoption in general has impacted us. Do you think that that those journeys for you were really entwined that like becoming aware of your body and also kind of becoming aware of how you've been impacted by being an adoptee? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was it's it I laugh about it now because in my my first session with my therapist I was totally frozen and freaked out and I didn't know where to start and she said oh like 
I I see you put down your adopted or something like that. Tell me about that. And I was like, oh, I, that doesn't affect me. <laughs> I'm laughing because I did the same thing. My first therapist. Yeah. So um, we didn't talk about that. Just gloss right over that. But it wasn't until about four months later that, you know, I was practicing checking in with myself and looking at a feelings wheel and writing down my feelings multiple times a day and um, came across a post by Anne Heffron about adoption that said adoption mm-hmm. is trauma. And at that point, I was like really deep into my journey of learning about polyvagal theory and PTSD and trauma healing. And so it was kind of like mic drop, like, oh, shit, like all of these dots in my life. Just- Anne's really good at those posts. She's <laughs> really saying, good at the mic drop posts for sure. Yeah. yeah. So at that point, I started making the connections and I felt scared, but I also felt this immense sense of relief. And I remember going to therapy that next week being like, oh my God, like everything I've been through makes so much more sense now. She was like, yes, I was waiting for this to come up. <laughs> God bless the, God bless her for having that reaction because I think some of us have had therapists that are like, what do you mean? Like, why is that a problem? Adoption is yeah. not a problem, you know, and, and just having to combat that, you know, is yeah. I'm definitely very blessed. I, I love her th- so much. Um, she's not an adoptee herself, but incredibly affirming and safe person for me. So yeah, that was the beginning of the, 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 the door opening. Good. Love that. I have a question. Um, with people that experience and go through depression, and taking care of our bodies and taking care of nutrition. So I think what I'm hearing you is you take a very holistic approach. Like we can't just treat the body. We have to treat the body and the mind and the soul. And there, you know, it's it's not just one thing. It's all interconnected. And I think what's hard as an adoptee, as a human, as someone that has chronic illness and um, chronic depression and anxiety, it's really effing hard to track everything. I also have ADHD, so it's like even more difficult to either I'm hyper-focused on my health and I'm doing great and amazing. And then all of a sudden I am off the rails. Go big or go home. Right, Katie? Not get back. I have lost my way. Yep. So I get, there is a question here at some point. Um, So I think with, with that, I think a lot of, a lot of adoptees were, were grappling with our own adoption, our own traumas, um, and not just childhood, it, it's things that come up, things that trigger us as adults. Um, and also understanding that we have to and need to take care of ourselves um, in healthy ways That's to good. move forward in life. And so I guess my question is kind of a broader question of how would you recommend or what would you recommend for adoptees who really struggle with depression, but also want to make healthier decisions, whether that's with food, whether that's with exercise, whether that's just meditation or self-care, but the 
I think what I find is the the depression is what just ends up taking over That's um, eventually. Like I, I usually start out really great and strong, but in the end, a lot of times it's it's it becomes too much. It feels too much. Um, and maybe that's, I think a lot of that is my ADHD and, and um, my all or nothing type mentality. But what would you recommend for someone that really desires that, but mental illness, mental health gets in the way? Yeah. Firstly, there's, I feel like there's so much shame and stigma that that comes from maybe unknowingly from society that we, that gets internalized within us mm-hmm. when we struggle with something like depression. Um, and, you know, I, I know from working with so many humans who have depression, it's like you, you, you're so, and obviously this isn't universal, but you're so drained that even just like, you can't even imagine doing it. Right. Even if it's something that feels quite simple on the times when you're not in that really intense depressive period. So I think I would approach it two ways of like one, I would tell people to think about the systems that they can put in place for when their spoons are really low, when their energy is low and their their mood is low, so that when you when you're feeling well, you have those systems, you start putting those systems in place so that when you do reach a lower point, you already prepped yourself for that. Um, an example of that might be, I like to have, uh, I, I sometimes suggest that people keep some snacks or some like bottled shelf-stable drinks in their um, nightstand. Sometimes clients have difficulties getting out of bed right and we're working on nourishing consistently so if you know if you need to have a bar or a drink while you're still in bed like that's better than skipping a meal or, or not having anything um, mm. or even just like having a tube of toothpaste in your nightstand even if all you do is rub the toothpaste around in your mouth and swish some water in there and spit it into a cup Right. Like those are those are sort of these these micro um, changes that I hope to give out tons of permission slips to everyone to do, because yeah, you think about it like. Nothing is going to you know, nothing bad is going to happen if you don't brush your teeth twice a day or if you don't brush your teeth for a week. Right. It's not. Is it going to be grimy? Sure. But nothing bad is going to happen for most people so it's kind of about about experimenting and allowing yourself to take care take care of yourself in a way that probably you might have some judgment towards um at least that's been my experience of people being like well that person on the street can do this and you're saying it's okay for me to you know drink a bottle smoothie out of my nightstand and i'm like yeah I don't care about that person over there. I only care about yeah. you, where you are in your journey right now. And I, and and Katie, to your other point about like being hyper focused and or letting it all go out out the window, I do think it's a lot easier with support. It's really hard to see those things, you know, when you're on your own. So whether that's 
your partner or your therapist or your dietitian. Like those are all people that can help you talk through some of that stuff on on a time when you're feeling, you know, grounded enough to do it. Hmm. I think that answered your question. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. The fact that you even answered my question and it took me five minutes to get there. (laughs) (laughs) Dang, a lot. I'm impressed. But I'm just sitting here thinking how complicated this this issue is i love first of all i just want to say i love that the word you used of nourishment rebecca because i feel like that is such an all-encompassing word that i feel like usually we hear more of the medical terminology like nutrition definitely feels more like a medical terminology right um and i I love that you even gave an example outside of food like something like self taking self-care down to like the granular tasks and that sounds like such a judgment-free way of interacting with a whole person. And that's really amazing. But I'm also thinking for adoptees, how big, and I think this is true of all humans, but just since we're all adoptees here, how big the issue of food can feel like, Mm. you know, and especially I think for our transracial or international adoptee friends that have this disconnection from culture and how, And even I think even for me, you know, I was raised in the Midwest and I actually was born in Oklahoma and Oklahoma. Yes, it it is the Midwest, but there's just like regional uh, attachments to certain foods. Right. And um, and certainly internationally, like the food from, for example, I'm thinking of. Patrick, our producer, and the John Chi boys, and how they've really incorporated the food of Korea into their journey, and that that's become a big part of how they're trying to find that part of themselves. So, um, I see it being a really huge task as an adoptee to figure this whole food thing out because there's so many personal cultural aspects within how people treat food. What do you think about that? Do you have thoughts about food and culture? And yeah. Firstly, I I 100% agree. I think that piece about being disconnected from from your culture that often comes with a a huge loss of of food memories and like food lineage, honestly, um, which can be really difficult to reconnect with again as an adult. Um, because I, I don't have any scientific evidence of this, but just from from working with a lot of people, I see that, you know, the experiences that we have as children with food tend to tend to continue into adulthood unless we do some really some serious work of unlearning and relearning. So it it takes a lot. It takes a lot of effort. I guess I'm just repeating what you said, but I think it depends on what what pe- what's important to people. So one, I think an exploration of like those foods with a supportive person could be really helpful. Mm, mm -hmm. And another another permission slip to let go of some of those foods from your adoptive family if that doesn't feel like it fits who you are anymore. Yeah. Um, whether I mean that could be really anything, whether it's food or traditions, I think a lot of times we're forced to eat things that we don't necessarily want to eat or that we don't necessarily like. And a lot of adults I've learned have a hard time honoring that in their kids, especially when it feels like a um 
it feels personal. Like, why won't you eat Aunt Margaret's casserole or whatever? You know, she right. made it for you. She loves you. It's like, that doesn't feel good in my body. Like, I don't want to eat that. And so we didn't have the agency then, but now we can say, you know, it's, it's, it's Thanksgiving and I'm not eating that. <laughs> Just not doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So boundaries around food, um, making that connection to our sense of agency also like just our individuality, right? Like how you eat growing up. We know, like you said, I, I think it's pretty clear to all of us that de definitely directly impacts us as adults. But yeah, how, what, what do you think that looks like? So, okay, full disclosure, I'm a parent and I have a two, almost two and a half year old. So we're in that fun phase where it's like, does he like this food today? <laughs> Is he going to eat anything other than crackers for the next 48 hours? You know, like, so it's a really interesting journey. And I know there's a lot of adoptees that come into this and now they're parents and now they're raising a small human and trying not to pass down some of these more toxic behaviors around food. So what are your recommendations for those people that um, maybe didn't get that agency now? How do you... What's a baby step towards giving your kids that? What comes to mind for me is the things that felt uncomfortable to you as a child that perhaps you, you spoke up about or you didn't want to do or that you just white knuckled it through. Those might be opportunities to play around with your children. So one from my own life is like my bubby used to uh, make me eat all my broccoli before I was allowed to have any ice cream. And I really wanted that ice cream because she had like this Neapolitan kind that I didn't have at home. Um, but she just really wanted me to eat a lot of broccoli. And so I, I forced myself to eat a lot of broccoli and I would feel really sick, but I really wanted that ice cream. So, you know, if if I were parenting right now, I wouldn't repeat that same pattern. Sure. I wouldn't like categorize foods, you know, any one better than the other. And so right. um, I think making, it kind of depends on like the, the, the child and like what you're going yeah. through from a, from that perspective and as a parent, but the things that, that you, the things that felt bad, see what it's like to do something different for you in your system and for the nervous system of your kid. And maybe your kid won't feel that same, you know, joy or, or maybe they'll feel negatively and that's okay too. They have, they have their own body and their own experience. Yeah. But that's the, that's the key I think is like your appetite is not the same as your child's appetite and your body is not the same as your child's body and your sensations are not the same. And even though mm -hmm. you have the same, you know, DNA, like it doesn't mean that you experience the world in the same way. Yeah. I think that's such a good reminder. Um, I think so much of parenting in the eighties and nineties and even probably after has been like a very, this disconnect between like seeing children as people as whole people. I think parents have really a lot of old parenting advice has been like Lord over your child and make sure that they do all of this and they have to, you know, and I'm, I'm grateful to see that we're getting away from that idea. But I think that a lot of my, I'll speak for myself, a lot of my adoption trauma came from the, the combination of 
family separation, adoption trauma, and that type of parenting, which really just instills shame and guilt versus learning what it feels like to be safe in our bodies and in our minds. That's, you know, yeah, I mean, we we need structure and we need boundaries, especially as children around food. But we what what we don't but we need to be met in those experiences with with safety, like you said, and not with, you know, shame or ridicule or mm. you eat all the Halloween candy and now you're, you know, let's say you're vomiting. It's like, well, that's what you get. You shouldn't have done that. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. Yeah. I think that's what I'm. Well, I want to go back to the transracial. Trans- mm, yes. I was hoping you'd have some good insight. Uh, um, but in relation to that, like the mm. shame that surrounds food is just mm. immense, whether you're a child, whether you're an adult. And as a transnational adoptee specifically, you know, I, I think that there has to be a level of grace that you give yourself like this, you're you're giving yourself this pass um, and permission to not like the food that maybe is connected to your culture, mm-hmm. but you were not served every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even if you were served it every day, you don't have to like it. Like, I think that there is this pressure you know, especially when you meet non-adoptees and they want to like somehow connect with you, you know, it, it's similar to when someone finds out I'm Korean and they're like, oh, I love K-pop. And I'm like, I don't like <laughs> K-pop at all, but thank you for trying to connect with me. Um, but it's kind of similar to food. It's like um, you feel this. And I think this is maybe a result of adoption. And I'm literally just coming to this conclusion right now but the obligation that you have to like the the food that is Mm -hmm. relevant to my culture Mm -hmm. or else I'm not a full Korean I'm not you know a a real Korean um if I and forget about me even trying to cook it my god um but just like liking some of the food, I had to let go of a lot of that and be able to come to terms with, as a transnational adoptee, I get to choose what I, th- how Korean looks to me. What does that look like to me? It doesn't look like what a native Korean and what you know, they're them sitting next to their Korean family, biological mm-hmm. family, sharing a meal. Yeah. Mine is literally, I like, sometimes I like wearing obnoxious colors and I want to eat by myself in a Korean restaurant in Korea, which is not really socially acceptable. Like, you know, and it's like, I have to be okay with some of those things because I didn't grow up that way. Mm-hmm. And I have to be able to shed that shame because that was not my life. Yeah. I remember, I well, I really don't like seafood, but that's also because I grew up in Kentucky. But <laughs> when, I, when I went to Korea, you know, a lot of the dishes um, have seafood in it. And, and literally, they do not list it out. They just say seafood. 
So Lord knows what is in it. Right. Um, but there were just several dishes that I just didn't, I just couldn't even be open to because that's not how I, I, I didn't get exposed to that. And so I had to like come to this, ter- come to terms with that. Um, the other aspect of being a transnational adoptee in regards to health and medicine, um, recently I have been really interested in Eastern medicine. And I, t- I remember in the old clubhouse days, I remember talking about this uh, in an Asian American room where I remember saying for the first time out loud that I felt suspicious of Eastern medicine, not even growing up as an adult, because I grew up in Kentucky, mm-hmm. right? And, and, um, in a, in a white family. And so okay. that was never an option to, to even think about any kind of Asian Eastern medicine to treat ailments, to treat illness, whatever it may be. That's something that I, I am interested more and more. So actually I am starting or I'm, I'm going to be starting this week, my first appointment with acupuncture and my, uh, and also getting some herbal medicine that will um, help with depression, anxiety, and Bell's palsy, because I still have Bell's palsy. Um, but but even as a transnational adoptee, overcoming those those fears and suspicions of of how to treat my body as an cool. Asian American, mm-hmm. it's different. On, on a white American diet. Yep. And it's it's so complex. And, yeah. and I don't know how to navigate that. I don't have a model for that either. Um, well, it's of, so much... I feel like what you're describing, Katie, is so much like loss, right? Yeah. And grief. Yeah. It's grief work at its core. Oh, yeah. Even when you are in a place where you feel comfortable to explore those things, which I'm so happy for you that you are, you still have to hold both right that right. you didn't get to be raised like in korea with your mm-hmm. korean family and that you were raised with their parents whom i know you adore and love and mm-hmm. in kentucky in white america i mean those yeah. you're never gonna be able to set either of those things down and no it's no. so hard it's a lot and it's just the tension that adoptees live in and no matter who you are, you know, as adoptees, but yeah, as transnational adoptees, it's, it's many more layers of, of nuance. Yeah. Uh, that's that absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. What you said, Katie, about letting go of the shame of not connecting to Korean food, I thought was just so beautiful. And so, so like real. Cause I, I, I've never thought about it that way, but I, I do see, a lot of, I'll say probably like more posts on social media about, you know, connecting with your, with your birth culture through food, because Mm. I think for a lot of people that's like, oh, it's an easy access point. Like we all eat and we have to eat. And so, yeah, that just, I thought that was really poignant that you brought up. And actually when I lived in Korea, the first like three months, my stomach was messed up. Oh, I can't even imagine. Yeah, <laughs> it was messed up. You know, and it's like, 
it's it was just like the tables have turned, you know, yeah. like getting on a Korean diet and eating white rice every day, eating kimchi, which I love every day, uh, breakfast, lunch, dinner. Um, you know, it it is so different and and unknown at the same time. Like I look at Native Koreans and think I can't relate to this whole immersion experience i feel like i have to pick and choose Mm. based on my comfortability which i think is i mean i know how much work you've done to get there yeah that's hard in even of itself to get to a place where you feel like you can pick and choose but also having to have lived so much of your life in a position where you were forced to to do that Mm. Like, but now that it's your choice, it's that's a different experience, right? Yeah. And yeah. and literally your the foods that you eat contribute to the bacteria that live inside of your Is digestive it? system. And so by being introduced, you I mean, I w- I'm imagining you were introduced to a whole new system and biome of yes. microbes and things. And so that that those were not similar to the microbes and and you know bacteria from Kentucky, and so your body was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> probably a lot of shouting involved. Yeah, like there's you know the the diversity in what we eat has an impact um, on us, and so like it's it's not you know I, I don't I don't think we're at, at still in the blank slate you know phase, but I I think that they're are so many layers to it that people don't realize like your microbiome in your body was literally changed. Yeah. Yeah. And the ripple effect that has on mental health, physical health, which we've been talking about, that's a really big um, shift for a person to be asked to make, let alone then put into that adopt adoption sphere where we're supposed to be, celebrate every aspect of adoption and yeah. really be very, I mean, you were mentioning earlier, Rebecca, like you were very black and white. I think that's so many of us, we're, we're black and white about things because that's really how things have been presented to us. Totally. Yeah. And I, and I just wanted everything to like fit inside of the box. And I just wanted to know what was right and what was wrong and what was good because I was going to do what was good and right. And what I was supposed to do um, but, you know, to your, to your point, Katie, like you're, you're forced to grow up in a, in the, in the American health system, which is a white Eurocentric way of thinking and studying and honestly, predominantly research done on white men. And like that body doesn't have anything to do with your body, but like that, but that's how we have to navigate the system. So. Um, oh, it's Rebecca. all kinds of fucked up. <laughs> we, need a, oh, we need a part two for this one. <laughs> we are. We're just going to turn off the mic and keep talking another hour because we could really. Lord. I mean, yeah. Uh, if you can follow me on Instagram, you know, I have a lot to say. <laughs> I love it because honestly, some of the things you've shared, I didn't even think about it that way before. Like, I think it's easy for us to think about nu- nutrition as food only. Versus everything else that you're really bringing into that. So mm-hmm. I thank you. Thank you for speaking on it. If you, people don't follow you, we will make sure to have Rebecca's Instagram handle and where you can find her below. Please follow her. She's an excellent wealth of knowledge. So. Yeah. Agree. 
agree. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I could definitely keep talking. There's so much to say. (laughs) Well, one question we like to ask is what is something that you think your adult self now would tell your younger adoptee self if you could, if you could? I thought about this one a lot because I thought it was a, a really good question. I would tell my younger self to slow down. I, I think I would I would probably phrase it more gently and say it's okay to slow down and to stop. But the reality is that like it's still extremely hard for me to slow down because as I'm sure you both know, when you slow down, you have to feel things and you have to confront things and there are things that, you know, my body just doesn't want to feel yet. And there were a lot of things that I didn't feel when I was younger. And so, you know, I think, I I think she just would have liked, younger me would have liked to know like, hey, there's, there's a different way. You don't have to keep doing all of this, but she didn't know. Mm, I feel that in my chest. Yeah, that's real. Thank you. Yeah. Rebecca, it has been such a pleasure talking to you, getting to know you. Um, you're so articulate and you can tell just I, I wish everyone was like seeing our conversation because you're just really gentle. And I mean, you can just tell like you are a safe human to talk to. And, and I really, you know, feel that. So thank you. thank you so much for sharing That's so sweet so much of yourself and and the work that you do. And um yeah, if anyone needs or wants to get in touch with Rebecca, we will have all of her contact info. Um are you uh, this is just a sidebar question, but are you looking for new clients? Are you accepting new clients? Yes, I am accepting new clients. I have space on my schedule and would love to work with more adoptees. Um, I think what what I, you know, I like to put in the disclaimer that my, my sessions feel sometimes like a combination of a doctor's appointment and a therapy appointment. And the benefit of Having an adoptee dietitian, if you are an adoptee, is that there is this whole language that we already share. There are things that you won't, I mean, of course, you know, are my experience is not everyone's experience, but there are things you won't have to explain, you know, quite as much to me um, because I've been there and I get it. And we'll be able to talk openly about like the ways that your adoptee experience have informed your relationship with food and body, which Oh, unfortunately, I just don't think very many people are talking about. And I've honestly, I've never seen any doctors talk about it, which is yeah. wild to me. <laughs> so yeah. important. And I'm, I'm so, you know, it's been a big conversation in the mental health field, but I'm so grateful to you for making it, um, you know, really a, a, a really important point of conversation in the, the rest of, you know, wellness field with the nutrition and everything. I think it's amazing. So thank you for doing that work. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and, no, and it's for everyone, you, but it's for little me too. <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah. Yes. I, I think like what you said about being a little bit of therapy, it is like, yeah, I, it is. I remember seeing, um, 
a nutritionist uh, when I was, this was like second round of, of college, but um, I remember seeing her and I remember thinking at the time I was already seeing a physician, I was seeing a therapist, I was seeing a nutritionist, at, you know, just as part, it was like this really beautiful, holistic um, treatment plan. But I remember I loved her so much because she, I felt so heard by her, even though I had the best physician, I had the best therapists who were, were both extremely great at their jobs. But I remember being unexpectedly surprised at at how much I really loved the, the nutritionist because I felt like everything that I was doing was tied by what she yeah. was doing with her work. She tied together the food, the exercise, and took into account the mental health aspect of it um and i feel like that was kind of the missing piece that i had for most of my life so you're doing incredible work yeah. Thank incredible you. work important work and i think adoptees will benefit so much just from even just talking to you absolutely yep i love that thanks yeah yeah i i i do consider that to be like a little like micro subspecialty of mine working with people who have worked with nutritionists and dietitians in the past and have mm. had a negative experience or even a traumatic mm. experience mm-hmm. I find that I work really well with those people because um similar to what you said Katie they're just like oh wait this can be like gentle and holistic and different yes, and I can feel okay and like, yeah yes like wel- you're not gonna shame me for eating potato chips right <laughs> <I'm> like, <Yeah>. welcome <laughs> well excited <laughs> to have you amazing well we are so excited um that you came on the show and um Laura any last thoughts no Wait. just thank you so much I think this is such an amazing episode for people to listen to. I think you've affirmed a lot of things for us. So we will see everyone the next episode. Have a wonderful day. Yay. Well, she's awesome. That was amazing. Yeah. She's so cool. I mean, I feel like that was years of growing and doing a lot of internal work all Mm. in like a 50 minute thing like what she shared oh absolutely her recommendations you know it it was just amazing I think there's so much validation in her message yeah you know like I think like you were mentioning it at closer to the beginning of the episode when we, we were talking about how you would go to doctors and there would just be like, Oh, here's this diagnosis, but nobody's really like asking why or like looking at you as a person. It's just, okay, here's this, do this. Yeah. And I love the flexibility and the just recognition that we're very complex people. Mm. Yeah, I think at the at the heart of it, it's it's just validation, mm. you know. And I think as an adoptee, she showed so much validation in 
you know, what we talked about, like the nuance of being an adoptee and trying to navigate what it means to be healthy and to walk Mm -hmm. in in a wellness type life. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like if I had had that at such a young, like a young age, my God. Yeah. You would imagine like, yeah, if my brain literally would have developed differently. Absolutely. I mean, it's funny. I think it's still shocks me when we talk to other adoptees and I feel so seen. It's still so new to me that I'm like, oh my God, you mean I'm not crazy? You mean I'm not, you know, like it's, it's very, it's a shock to the system to talk with someone who's that sensitive and aware of what it means. Really great. Yeah. One thing I wish, or maybe not wish, I think we could probably do another episode of it. Um, you know, Rebecca specialized in in eating disorders. Um, but I think there's like a larger conversation about addiction and oh, yeah. and adoptees and mm. um the prevalence in uh and how easy it is mm-hmm. to um to get addicted to various things um whether that's physical or emotional or you know and and um so yeah just something to think about for the future that's a really good one I I think there's a lot there and you know it's funny you say that because I've actually like just started to kind of unpack there's there's several forms of addiction in my biological family that of course I didn't know about until Mm -hmm fairly recently. And I've sort of, I, I'm very lucky that I, you know, I'm not, I'm not an addict. Mm. Um, I'm not living, I'm not having to actively manage any sort of addiction, but I see it still like pop up, you know? Um, and so there's that aspect. And then there's just the aspect that Rebecca was talking about that polyvagal theory, which is so fascinating, um, that there's this like dopamine and other kind of hormonal feedback in our body that, um, we're just seeking out sort of, I mean, this isn't, this isn't a hundred percent scientific, but like, we're basically like seeking out equilibrium in any way we can. Yeah. And we end up in this cycle. Right. Yeah. And that is, I think so many of us have experienced that in, hmm. um, yeah, such a big topic. Yeah. 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 I feel like I just learned a whole heck of a oh. lot. I know. I love that. And she's so humble and wise. And yeah. Yeah. So cool. Rebecca, you're a wise owl. She really is. Yeah. I can see it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so we didn't mention this when the microphone was on previously, but um, yeah, Katie and I are also continuing our journey of taking care of ourselves. And I just wanted to take a chance to just to catch, like do a check-in with you friend and how you're doing. And mm-hmm. I had you wanted no to idea. share anything. I had no idea where you were going to go with that. Or what? And but- here's my, no, <laughs> no announcement. I just wanted to check in with you and see how you are in general. Oh boy. Um, yeah, I, honestly, I'm doing a whole heck of a lot. Um, mm. Really trying the the acupuncture, the herbal tea, um, in hopes that it it really helps with the Bell's palsy. Um, mm. So I'm three months in to Bell's palsy, and um, 
I've made some improvements on my eye, but really it's, there's no improvement on my smile or mm. half my face in general. Um, also doing a program with a um, certified dietitian um, or a licensed dietitian. I don't know how you say it. Um, and a personal trainer. And so I'm, I, I feel like I'm doing a lot. Yeah. As well as managing the insulin. Mm. Um, I'm also house sitting. So mm. it's like I'm not in my natural environment. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's been a lot. I've been struggling, honestly. Um, we're going into the holidays. The holidays are really difficult for a lot of people for various reasons. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. I tend to get a little freaked out before the holidays hit. Um, not even consciously, you know? Yeah. Like my body just knows. And, yeah. uh, so anyway, so yeah, just like really struggling through depression and and yeah. very high anxiety. So um yeah, just really mm. trying to manage that and yeah, it's been it's been difficult. I see you working hard. Thanks. I'm proud of you for doing that. It's really I it's really tough to push through that and do things anyway. It's a really hard thing. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. How about you? I'm good. I, um, are, we've had a really busy month. We've mm -hmm. had some travel, um, seen some, seen some family, which has been great. Um, but I, I'm starting to get to the point where I feel like my unofficial ADHD diagnosis is becoming hard to just bypass, you know, <laughs> yeah. I get, uh, derailed and, mm. um, I get hyper focus, hyper fixation on things. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm noticing how quickly my environment really impacts me mentally. Yeah. Um, so I've had to take some time to really clean out certain areas or like forcibly slow myself down certain projects that I want to do. Um, I, I, it's almost like, sometimes it almost feels like mania where I'm like, Oh, I have all this cure creative energy. And I want to yeah. just, I mean, and, and, you know, I have low points like everyone. So I, it's like, Oh, I have to do all this now because this is the time I'm going to remember to do it. And I'm going to have energy to do it. And it's, I am not superhuman. So <laughs> Yeah. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm managing it, but I think it's, um, it's hard. There's a lot of like, it kind of feels like I'm juggling 800 balls at once. And if I, yeah. if I get off, I'm going to drop all of them. And, um, you know, it's a challenge, but I will say things I'm doing well right now are, um, being consistent about exercise really? and in a, in a gentle way, not like a punishing kind of way, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, an enjoyable way. And, um, I'm really trying to, um, so I, I did see a, I think I mentioned this last episode, I, I did see a functional medicine doctor and, and they also do some of the more, um, Chinese or Eastern medicine. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've been on those herbs now for two months oh. and I feel 
way better. My sleep is like so much better. Really? Yes. So, you know, both of us have kind of branched out into that. And I I really have seen a huge difference. And I think that, you know, I think there is something to really like looking outside of Western medicine for, for things, you know, and, and just trying to find other, other ways of managing, um, managing things. And, and, um, being a woman, you know, there's just so many hormonal things that happen and recognizing that taking the shame out of it and just really trying to see all of it as like, I can care for myself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so ultimately like sleep, food, all of that, those aspects have been good. I think it's more just, you know, really trying to be gentle with myself while I manage, uh, being neurodivergent in whatever way I am, you know, where most of us are who have experienced trauma. So, yeah. 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 Oh man. So much. It's a lot. It's a lot, but I'm grateful for our friendship. It's always comforting to have you in my life and know that you get it. I never have to explain things to you ever. You just immediately understand and same, same. Yeah. So it's a gift. Um, we just, one thing I wanted to mention to our listeners too, is Katie and I are very committed to being gentle with ourselves and not like, you know, trying to kick our own butts too hard about this podcasting thing. So (laughs) you may have noticed that we, you know, are not the most prompt and we're not pumping these out every two weeks. We're, um, giving ourselves grace when we've had to overcome illness and all of the things. So, yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it's, for sure, not ideal, but it's also just life. I mean, it's life. This is how life is. So, yep. yep, we're okay with that. Yep, nothing's forever. So, including, yeah. including chaos. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is valid. This is valid. Um, well, great. All right. Yay. Uh, well, thanks for tuning in, friends. Um, let us know if you have any feedback and yeah, we'll see you next time. Yay. See you later. Bye.